They shift him from right to left. Play action to that side. Rolling right looking. Fires in the end zone. Got a man. Oh, touchdown. That's a tight end from 15 yards out. Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by NFL reporter and NASCAR host for Fox Sports, Shannon Spake, and Rutgers head football coach, Greg Schiano. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and bettors. Our first guest began her on-air career at the Speed Channel before moving over to ESPN as a sideline reporter covering college football and basketball. She now serves as an NFL reporter and NASCAR host for Fox Sports. Please welcome to the show, Shannon Spake. Shannon, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to kind of get back to my roots and talk about some uh, some college ball for a little bit. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, after college, and, and you graduated from FAU, we're going to, I got a specific question about that a little later on, but you began your career on the production end of things at Nickelodeon, CBS, MTV, before moving to the other side of the camera. What was your plan at that time? Did you always know you wanted to be on air? No, I had no plan. Um, I left, uh, you know, South Florida after I graduated from FAU, I packed up a U-Haul truck and moved to New York City because because I knew that I a wanted to get out of South Florida and uh, the energy that I had been to New York once or twice and the energy was just amazing and I knew that I would be able to figure out what it was I wanted to do with my life. There were so many different things that you could you could try fashion, you could try music, you could try sales, you could try anything you wanted to. And uh, one of the areas uh, that I really, I knew that I wanted to work was in Times Square and specifically at 1515 Broadway, which is, if you remember back in the nineties, that's where MTV was located. They had this show called TRL Live every single day, the entire Times Square got filled with thousands and thousands of kids screaming up to see like Britney Spears or NSYNC or whatever, kind of standing there with Carson Daly. And I was like, this is the building I wanna work in. This is where I wanna work. I'm 20, you know, two, 23 years old. And uh, so this was before September 11th, uh, I was about 99, 2000, and I would sneak into the building and I would ride the elevator and I would hand out resumes, like actual physical resumes. That was, be, you know, back, I'm dating myself, right? Like people, did people even have paper anymore? And, um, and I found out that they had a job posting that would come out every two weeks and I applied for everything on that job posting, even if I wasn't qualified, which I wasn't qualified for most of it. But I just had this thought that if they saw my name enough, they would say, oh, that name looks familiar. Maybe we should bring her in. Well, I did get a job within, I would say, I think I think I was only in New York four to six weeks before I got a job at Nickelodeon and got really lucky. And they were part of the Viacom family. So I was able to move over to CBS after a certain number of, of months. I uh, worked for the the early show with, with Bryant Gumbel and Jane Clayson at the time and really learned a lot about watching sort of those pros go through their paces and how they kind of handled things. And I definitely know that that set a lot of the foundation for me. But to answer your question, um, as far as sports is concerned, I had left the early show and I was a Dolphins fan. I wanted to watch the Dolphins play. So I called up some of my buddies who worked on uh, the Sunday, CBS Sunday show, is it NFL Today? 
and uh, asked if I could come by and just watch the Dolphins play. I had worked in that building for so long that when like Marino or Jim Nance or Boomer Esiason, Deion Sanders, who were on the show, were asking for things like a pen or paper or whatever, I knew where everything was. And so I just found myself working that day and, and got hired. And, and so that's kind of where I, I always knew that I loved sports, but I didn't know that I had to make it my life and my career until that sort of came together. Well, that's a great example of the value of persistence, the value of you know, taking advantage of the best opportunity you have and seeing where it leads to it. I'm sure those early jobs opened your eyes to the notion of being on air. You did, like you said, you didn't even know certain jobs were even jobs probably at that point. Yeah, I I will never um, I will never claim that I'm the smartest, the fastest, the uh, the best in anything except hard work and and like you said, being persistent. I think I think you get an A with lots of pluses on the back end uh, of that one. Persistence, speaking up for myself, always kind of letting people know what direction I wanted to head in from ESPN to Fox um, and beyond, and and then of course hard work. I, I um, I'll outwork you. That's for sure. Well, we're going to get back to your career in a little bit, but uh, we do like to talk about college football here. We like to talk about bowl games, been on the sidelines for some big college football moments. What are some of your favorite memories from being a sideline reporter for ESPN and Fox? There's so many. There's so many. Um, I think one of my very first games was a Washington State game, and it was one of the first where Mike Leach had kind of come back. And, you know, I'm a young reporter. You just kind of heard these these stories about Mike Leach and it's raining. I think we were in, uh, I think we were on the Palouse and, you know, you, you took 14 hours to get there for, you know, a three and a half hour game. And, uh, and I remember just having a really good time with it, him being exactly what you want him to be, right? Just giving you one word answers and being very funny and very um, amusing to kind of work with. That was one of my very first games. It was with Joe Tessitore and Matt Millen. And it was of course like the 11 o'clock East Coast game on on, on ESPN two, uh, the first time I I stood in you know the shoe at Ohio State and it snowed. I think kind of looking around and seeing all the people in the stands and seeing the snow come come down and just this this serenity and quietness kind of come over the uh, the entire stadium. I think that's a moment that I'll always forget. I mean, I worked a um a red river red river rivalry that lasted i think four hours and 45 minutes um baker mayfield was in that one and yeah i think there's there's i mean the first time you get to work with you know coach saban and the first time you experience an sec game and you know just the drive to some of these schools being you know i and honestly one of the one of the cool things for me now is seeing some of the players that I covered in college, having these amazing careers. Patrick Mahomes, I covered him at Texas Tech. I covered um, Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. You know, there's there's so many of these of these players, um, not only the 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 forefront of the team and the the ones that are making a lot of money, but even guys that are just, you know, hanging on in the league and and backups and, and then they get an opportunity. So I think that's really cool for me to see. You've also had the opportunity to cover some bowl games in your career. What are some of your favorite bowl season memories? In, in your opinion, what makes bowl season so special? Um, well, I think that you get to spend a lot more time with the teams and the coaches during bowl season than you do for just prep for a normal week. And sometimes like we'd walk into, you know, we'd walk into a game and we'd be like, God, we have way too much stuff. We've talked to these guys 14 times over the last week. 
My favorite bowl memory, Hugh Freeze. I was working the Sugar Bowl. It was uh, Oklahoma State, Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss. And Hugh Freeze let me come into the locker room pregame and listen to his pregame speech with his guys. And that's a perspective that I've never had, you know, kind of being in the stadium, being underneath those, you know, underneath the stands and, and hearing. It, it was the closest, I think, that I could ever be to that gladiator-esque moment where you can hear the national anthem going on you can hear the people in the stands and you can hear them screaming and here you are in this little room with a coach on you know standing on a chair giving this this uh this speech and, and motivating this group of men and i think that was that was the coolest moment for me i wish that every sideline reporter could have that opportunity to be in a big game listen to a coach in the locker room with the team pregame yeah those are those are special moments i mean we we have we have different backgrounds, both in sports, though, you know, and I've been in those situations a lot and I, I probably didn't appreciate them as much then as I do now. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, there's so many people in, involved in a game day, right? There's people who pay a lot of money to stand on the sideline before the game and, yeah. and, and do this or that. And I remember there was one time I was I think it was when I was at Notre Dame and we were, we were in the locker room pregame. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm, nobody could buy this. Like, it's not about money. It's not about anything, but you belong here here for some reason and you get to experience it. I felt uh, very lucky in those moments. I try really hard, no matter what game it is, no matter where I am, no matter what sport I'm covering, to take a few minutes, whether it be during the national anthem or during the game at some point and just stop and look around and just take it in. I, I've covered Green Bay. It's the first time that I've ever been to Lambeau was this season. I was there week three. I was there last weekend as well. And just to take it in, one of the things I do every single week is I run stadium stairs. So I run 46 different stadiums and arenas, uh, tracks, and that's my way of sort of spending some time alone in this venue with nobody else and kind of getting a, a really good perspective of what this place is like. I, uh, I was able to run Beaver Stadium at Penn State. It was, I think, 7.30 in the morning on a Friday, and I was the only person in the entire stadium. And just like you said, that's not something that people get to do. And so those moments I, I take really seriously. Like the other day I was in Seattle. I had I'd never been to Lumen Field before, and they were challenging a touchdown, the, the Seahawks. And as soon as the ref kind of put put his arms up like this, the entire place stood up and went like this at the same time. Every level, as far as you could see, every single person. And I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I've ever seen that because there's so many different fans at the games. I don't think I've ever seen collectively an entire stadium kind of in one moment move together. And I just was like, whoa, that's something I'm always going to remember. Do you enjoy covering the NFL? Is it, is it different than covering college? Do you like one better than the other? Yeah, I think so. I always say like, I think for uh, college, you know, the atmosphere, the bands, the venues, the history, all those things are are what makes college. For me, the NFL is the athleticism. These these dudes, right, like on the field are the best of the I mean, they're incredible and to watch them to watch the best of the best to watch tom brady drew Brees, you know any of these guys coaches right bill belichick to watch somebody who is the best in the world at playing this position play this position that's in from my vantage point where i'm sometimes 10 feet away from you know a quarterback leading leading the huddle with his guys that's it's there's nothing like it. it you know and in college 
there's a lot of people on the sideline. There's a lot of players. It's just a little more intimate, I think, in the NFL. And I think the access to these guys is a little um, easier, right? Because obviously you're dealing with college kids. And a lot of times you have to go through SIDs and you have to go through people in order to spend some time uh, with these players. And in the NFL pregame, I can just walk up to them and say hi. I can just walk up to them and sit on the ground with Bobby Wagner as he's, you know, stretching his hamstrings and and kind of talk to him pregame. And so some of those things I, I really appreciate about the NFL. Yeah, you're, you're, you're so right. I remember when I left Notre Dame, my first year working for the Patriots, the first game, the first thing that struck me is, is how, how sparse the sideline was. Yeah. <laughs> in college, you have you have a roster of 100 people, walk-ons, uh-huh. redshirt people. Yeah, God only knows how many student trainers they have, and then they allow mm-hmm. the donors down there. And I mean, it's it's half that, if not less, in the NFL. And you're not, you know, once, you know, the NFL rules, once the ball's kicked off, like there's no donors, there's no... Yep. sponsors down there it's very very clean yep um, and and injuries it's like this is what it is and in college you know you have to you, you know you're not getting that information because of HIPAA which is fine you have to say hey I saw this I saw that and the NFL they come up and they say hey it's a you know ankle he's out and so kind of that transparency just um it just it just adds to the whole to the whole thing You've been the voice of Fox's NASCAR race coverage since 2016 and you've been covering the sport since 2005 I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big NASCAR fan. Tell me what makes it so popular and what are some of your favorite race day memories? Yeah, I think that access, I think, well, I think first of all, a lot of people just like sports in general, right? Like you follow racing because your dad did and your grandfather did, and you have those memories. It's just like when I go to Lambeau or you go to Alabama or you go to any of these places and you see the grandfathers with their grandkids and you know, the grandfather's like, that's where I used to sit when I would come as a, as a young kid. And I think it's the same in racing. I think it's, it's a lot passed down and uh, what makes it exciting, if you've never been to a NASCAR race, which it sounds like you haven't, the pageantry and the sights and the sounds, it's a sensory sport for sure. It's it's we it's our it's a Super Bowl every weekend from the from the you know the landscape of the amount of television trucks that we have, the amount of uh broadcasting, the amount of people, the flyovers, the you know, the prayer, all of the stuff that that kind of goes into uh the pre-race and and those guys getting into the race cars is incredible. And every person that has ever gone to a NASCAR race has said, Oh my God. I had no idea. This is amazing. I love this sport. Um, so try to get out to maybe Loudon is one that you could get out to or poke okay. it up. Well, I, Loudon is a good one. Um, yeah, I just I just think that that's what it is, and and the access too. You know, you you can walk. I mean, you talk about uh, players. You talk about these drivers. They're taking pictures with sponsors five minutes before they jump in their race car to race in the biggest race of the season. I, I remember uh, when Aaron Rodgers was dating Danica Patrick. That was one thing that he couldn't believe. He was like, "Wait a minute." You're getting ready to get in your car for the Daytona 500 and you have a hundred people coming up and asking to take pictures with you. And she's like, yeah, that's just how it is. We have radios that we can listen in on the communication between crew chief and driver. Imagine hearing, you know, 
Nick Saban talking to his starting quarterback in the middle of the game. Like it's just not something that you have and anybody can listen into that. So I think that, I think there's a lot of that. And then it's an event, right? A lot of these people show up at, at NASCAR races on Friday and they stay the entire weekend and they camp out and they have friends that they've met, you know, year after year, after year, after year. And uh, it's, it's an event. So yeah, NASCAR has been really good to me. I've been doing it for 20 years. I feel like it's, it's my family. I've grown up with a lot of these, these drivers some have retired even um and so it's uh it's definitely part of me well i do love the unique elements that certain events uh give you you know whether it's promotional or um in in nascar the uh honorary grand marshal that signals the racers to start their engines is that is that a cool thing it looks pretty cool yeah, I think so. And I was actually just having a conversation with Raheem Mostert from the Miami Dolphins, who was at the 49ers for a long time. He grew up in Daytona and I don't get this very often. I don't walk up to players and have them ask me about NASCAR because a lot of these guys, I mean, they're playing on Sunday or they've been, you know, the college, they played in college. They weren't watching NASCAR races on the weekend, but he grew up in Daytona and he was talking to me about how he would go to races with his grandfather. And, and then I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday when he showed up for his press conference that week, he was wearing a Dale Earnhardt, uh, um, shirt. And so, yeah, I think that um, the, the the big events and, and kind of everything that goes on with the racing stuff, there's, it's, it's something special for sure. But I mean, it's sports, right? It's athletes, it's one guy winning. And, and oftentimes, you know, in racing, just like in, in other sports, it's, it's that one guy that that gets to victory lane, oftentimes not your guy, which is also a big difference between, you know, stick and ball sports, you have one team against another team. And in NASCAR, you have one guy against 35 other drivers so it's uh it's more of a i would say uh include like it's a more of a party kind of thing everyone's just there to kind of hang out now in my opinion maybe the coolest thing you did was making a cameo appearance in cars three i'm guessing maybe your kids think it's one of your they did. yeah they did you were shannon sure. spokes in that yeah. movie very clever how did that opportunity come about and how cool is it to be a part of a huge box office movie like that yeah, so they actually, um, they the director's assistant reached out to me on Twitter of all things. And I guess they were trying to get in touch with me. And so she reached out to me on Twitter the director and the producers were working closely with some folks in, in NASCAR and had over the years because the franchise is pretty cl closely tied uh, to NASCAR, whether it be Mike Joy, Daryl Waltrip, a lot of the guys that are in the garage are also part of the um, part of the franchise. And so I think they, um, the, the director and producer had reached out to some folks at NASCAR and said, hey, we're thinking about a, you know, a female reporter role for for our upcoming, who should we talk to? And, and, and several people had mentioned my name. So they reached out to me and we made it it happened but the interesting thing about you know the like doing that is you kind of show up I did I did the reads here in in Charlotte you show up you do your reads you cut you go back you do some pickups but that's all you do like you don't like you don't know how much made the movie you don't even know if they like decided and just changed their mind and like decided that maybe maybe it didn't sound right maybe they want somebody else maybe they're until the movie is on the screen and you are sitting there with your you know seven-year-old kids at the time and and watching it you don't really know what what part you play in the movie and so it was really cool and yeah i was like the coolest mom in first grade back then it was it was i mean yeah you couldn't even ask for anything more I'm sure you were. I'm sure you're still the coolest mom, Shannon. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. try. I try. <laughs> uh, as an FAU alum, you must have been so proud to watch the run your alma mater made to the Final Four in the men's NCAA tournament last March. Yeah. When you were an undergrad, 
Did you ever think that could be possible? No, because we didn't even have we didn't have football when I was there. It was a complete commuter school. So my mom actually actually graduated from FAU in the 80s as well. And I would I would drive to the school. I was living in like in in more the Fort Lauderdale area at the time. And so I would just drive on Mondays and Wednesdays and stack my classes and then drive back. There was no on campus stuff. It was a huge commuter school. So just to see how big that that school's gotten and, and Patrick Chung, who I think is at Washington State now. I could be wrong. Washington or Washington State. He was the yeah, athletic director. Yeah, so he was the athletic director there for a while and he brought me in, uh, showed me around the campus, showed me the, you know, the the stadium, which I had only been there that one time that he was showing it to me. Uh, I was able to speak to some of the student athletes who were just kind of getting back into, I think it was maybe right after fall break or something. And uh, it was really cool to kind of connect with kids that are down there. Cause I, you know, I, I know those kids, right? That's me, that's who I was growing up in the Fort Lauderdale area and um, yeah, and, and going to that school. So it was, it was, it's, listen, it's, it's great. <clears throat> it's great for the school. It's going to be great for recruiting, putting, listen, Lane put us on the map a little bit, right? Well, we'll give Lane some credit there, credit where, where credit is due. And, um, and, and certainly the basketball program has uh, picked up and, and run with it. Well, it's spilling over to this year a little bit. I, I think I saw that they're playing in the, in the Jimmy V classic at the garden or some event that they Good. probably wouldn't have been invited to otherwise, uh, if it wasn't for last year. It's got to back it up, right? Like I hear the I hear the players every weekend say everybody can have one good game, right? Like what do, what do you do next? That's right. <laughs> well, last question for you. Uh, you, uh, in my opinion, are an amazing athlete in your own right. You've uh, completed four marathons, competed in. You tell me if this is right. Seventy. So, I'm sorry, seven seventy point three yeah. Ironman events for the Ironman Foundation Ambassador Program, mm -hmm. raising close to sixty thousand dollars. And again, correct me yeah. if those facts are off. Tell us about your passion for competing in these endurance events and why your work with this organization is so meaningful to you. Yeah, I've been a little bit on the IR. Uh, so I tore my hamstring back in March of 2022. So 10, uh, 20 months ago, I tore my hamstring. I had to have surgery. So that kind of put me on the shelf for a little bit. It was but I'll tell you, like, it's it's funny. I just I just actually text Kirk Cousins because uh, I worked the game this week where he, you know, tore his Achilles. And going through that process on my own, going through the process of not being able to walk, right, non-weight bearing for six weeks, you know, on crutches, on, um, you know, a scooter, after being involved in endurance sports for so long, for 10 years, it was part of my life, whether it be the, the marathons or triathlons, you know, training hundreds of hours a, a month um, in a week sometimes, right, when you're, when you're getting close to race time. You, you realize that you don't really understand what it's like in, until you kind of go through it. And a lot of us obviously don't have that experience. Thank goodness we don't. Um, so yeah, so the, I'm a little bit on the shelf right now and, and I don't know if I'll get back into triathlons. I, I, I will continue doing the marathons. I think I want to run the New York City Marathon again next year. I've done it twice already. So I'm going to kind of like put that one right there on the, on the list and, and hopefully I can start to move towards that. Um, but as far as like the triathlon, I, I'm, I am doing a couple of little races with this, it's called Clash Endurance. So uh, the, um, the folks, 
the NASCAR folks actually do these NASCAR races, hold these um, these triathlons at tracks like Daytona and Watkins Glen and Miami Homestead Speedway. And the, the athletes go to the racetrack, they get to swim in the lakes that are at the racetrack, they get to ride their bikes on the course, run the course, and it's really fan friendly. It's you know family friendly because everyone can kind of watch you in this enclosed space, which isn't always the case when you're doing these crazy distances that you kind of have to go out and back. So I'm I'm working back towards kind of getting back out there and, and getting back to my athletic form that I was in prior to my injury. Uh, but it definitely set me back a little bit. You'll, you'll get back there. I would never yeah. underestimate. I'm running stadium stairs again. So that's, that's pretty uh, good. That's, yeah. Well, uh, really appreciate your time, Shannon. You're, you're so good at what you do. You add so much to the broadcast you cover. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road, down the road. Thanks for having me. All right. Tax Act knows watching college football is fun. Doing your taxes? Not so much. That's why they make filing simple. So let's get them over with. Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials, from eco-friendly lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers. Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Our next guest is in his 15th season overall as the head football coach for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The Wyckoff, New Jersey native and Ramapo High School graduate is the winningest coach in the history of his home state university. Please welcome to the show, Greg Schiano. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. Well, there's, there's only one place to start here, and that's talking about the fact that your win against Indiana last weekend moved your record to six and two, making Rutgers officially bowl bound for the first time since 2014. Now I've known you for a long time. You've always been a look forward guy. Keep working, keep chopping. The job is never done, but you can't overlook the importance for a program like yours with the rebuilding that's happening to a qualified for a bowl game. How meaningful is this accomplishment for your program and for you personally? Yeah, it's very meaningful. I mean, certainly it's not the end goal. Right. If you do anything, in, in my belief, you do it to be the very best. But it certainly is one of those landmarks that you become bowl eligible. And as I told our team, uh, I grew up in New Jersey and, and every Jersey kid goes down to the Jersey Shore. and You take the Garden State Parkway every mile. There's a mile marker and it says the number. And I told him, I said, I would count the mile markers down as a kid. But I knew exit 98 is where we got off to go to the beach. I said, so this is a mile marker. This is not our exit, and we just need to keep moving forward. Well, you mentioned being from New Jersey. Um, I know there's a lot of pride in being from that state, and you're a Jersey guy through and through. What does it mean to you to be making such a big impact at Rutgers in your home state? Well, you know, I've, I grew up, as you said, in Jersey, and I always, you know, it was Penn State, and at the time, Syracuse was really cooking pretty good, and I used to always say, why, why doesn't Rutgers have, why doesn't New Jersey have their own team like that? They can, they can be at that level. And I always believed there could be, and we, we got close the first go around. We did some, some great things, but it wasn't consistent. And when I had the opportunity, most times in life, you don't have an opportunity to do things a second chance. And uh, I got a second chance and I'm really excited about where we're headed now. 
Well, as I said in the introduction, this is your 15th season overall as head coach at Rutgers. You were here for 11 years for two th- from 2001 to 2011. Now you're in year four for the second time around. What have you found to be the biggest difference from the first stint to the second? Well, the university as a whole is completely different, Nick. Like uh, I, I told people this story. I had not been back. And uh, I, my wife and I kind of came undercover when we were considering and said, let's make, make sure we really want to do this. I was blown away over $2 billion, billion, $2 billion in the nine years I was gone in building, in dormitories. I mean, unbelievable. I don't even know how you could do it in nine years, spend that much on construction, but uh, really did an unbelievable job. And parts of the campus when I was here the first time, literally, I tried not to bring recruits there because I didn't think it was very appealing. Now, those same areas, I can't wait to get recruits there. So we're actually... Uh, recruiting now with a beautiful campus and we've always had an academic reputation. So I I just think there's so much more to offer now than there was back then. And uh, it's exciting to me to be able to use that in recruiting. Your first time around, you took Rutgers to six uh, bowl games from 2005 to 2011. After losing that first one in Phoenix, you won the next five. On this podcast, we talk to all our guests about how meaningful those bowl experiences are for everyone involved and the lifelong memories they create. Tell us about some of the more memorable experiences for for you during those bowl trips to Houston, Toronto, Birmingham, Tampa, St. Pete, New York City, both on and off the field. Well, you hit it on the head, Nick. It's so big for your whole university, not only the players and coaches and support staff that are involved, but your alum and your donors, everybody mobilizes. You know, and the first time we had been to a bowl game in 2005, we went to the Insight Bowl. And, you you know, other than the end result, we it was a 40, I think it was 45 to 43, a shootout. But other than the end result, it was the most incredible week. It was a Chamber of Commerce weather week. I mean, it had to be 80 degrees every day in sunshine in Phoenix. We had like 12,000 Rutgers people transported themselves across the country to go to the game. It had been a while since Rutgers had been in a bowl game, like a long while. So those moments, that was the beginning. And then that really set the bar for our bowl experience. And uh, I happen to have the fortune of working for Coach Paterno. And there's no one with a better bowl record than Coach Paterno. So I kind of fashion our bowl experience for our players after the way he did it. We work really hard when it's time to work. And then I tell them, it's your time. You've earned this. And uh, this is a reward for what you've done. So that's kind of the the way that I approach it as a head coach. I was at that game, Greg, and, and my my uh, the memory for me that stands out the most, and, and, and this podcast is not about my stories, but uh, James Gandolfini was your honorary captain. And, and I was at the game very early. I was up in a suite. I don't think fans were even let in. And I had to use the bathroom in the suite. And I go in. And there's Tony Soprano standing up, going to the bathroom. And he looked at me like, and I had never met the man. So in my mind, it wasn't James Gandolfini. It was Tony Soprano. So I very sheepishly said I was sorry and, and walked out the door. So that was my experience with Tony Soprano. You went right into, into character. You might have been waiting for something in the back of your head. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I'm very fortunate we're here talking today, Greg. <laughs> now, you mentioned Penn State. You were, you know, before you were head coach at Rutgers, you were part of many memorable bowl games as an assistant at Penn State and then more recently at Ohio State. How are those experiences different for you and your family? Because these bowl trips are 
you know, the families are very involved. A lot of people don't realize that. How is it, how is it different for you and your family as an assistant coach versus a head coach? Well, it's funny because I didn't have children when I was at Penn State. And then at Miami, I had I had young, young children. And then at Ohio State, I had grown children. So it, I had every stage as an assistant and then as a head coach. And I can tell you, every family you talk to, for those kids, that is their greatest memories. And even like support staff, people who texted to congratulate, uh, support staff's children says, that was the best time of our lives because you know how it is. There's herds of kids, all the similar age and they're turned loose in this hotel where there's all fun stuff to do. And those kids remember that forever. And that to me is what makes bowls. You know, people say, well, the playoff, that's to me what makes bowls so special is the memories that are created for so many people, not just the players and coaches, but so many other people. No doubt about it. Now, you know, starting to look forward now, the Big Ten has a great bowl lineup, which includes some great games, some great destinations from New York to Tampa and Orlando, Nashville, Phoenix, Las Vegas. You've been to a few of those. Now that you know you're going to one of those destinations, what does your team focus on now for the rest of the season? Is there And is there anything specific that you hope happens come Selection Sunday in November? I'm sorry, December. Well, I don't really get into that very much as, as much as I say to our guys, no limits. And when I say that, you know, most people's mind go to no limits to what you can achieve. I look at it both ways, no limits to what you can achieve and no limits to how hard we can work. And that to me is our program. You know, as you said earlier, keep chopping, who knows what this season can be. You know, I don't want, you know, again, this is a, a mile marker. This is a milestone for our program to be bowl eligible, but there's still so much football left to play. And, we're going to approach it like we always do, you know, put our heads down and work and look up when it's over and see where, like you said, selection Sunday, you're going somewhere. That's a great thing to know that you're going somewhere. And then the part that, you know, as a head coach that I love is the additional practices that we get to develop our team. And that to me is so important for our younger players. Uh, bold preparation has always been a great time of growth for our younger players in our program. And, and, and I can't wait, like immediately when we became bowl eligible, that's where my mind went immediately to, okay, somewhere between 12 and 15 more practices to get our team ready for the future. And uh, then to couple that with spring practice, it's a powerful thing. It's, it really is. Yeah. We, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, as much of um a, uh, is, as much as it is a reward for the current season, it's oftentimes a launching point for programs into the next season and really gives you a kind of a head start into that. 100%. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit with conference realignment being such a hot button issue and some new West Coast teams joining the Big Ten. What are your thoughts on conference realignment in general? And how do you feel about the Big Ten specifically being the first coast to coast conference beginning next year? Well, I think it's inevitable, right? I think that the the money that's out there and the TV contracts and all that stuff, it's kind of the way of the world. So uh, I've taken the approach of, you know, what's ever best for the Big Ten is best for Rutgers because we're a valued member in the Big Ten. And I'll tell you, we really value it. I, I consider it a blessing to be in the Big Ten Conference for Rutgers. It's something that I pursued so hard for so many years. And uh, wasn't here when we finally got in. Actually, was was in Tampa at the time. But uh, really, really pleased that that happened. And I think it's a perfect fit for our school. So bringing in these West Coast teams, uh, you know, it, it, I have experience being in the NFL where you 
go coast to coast. And uh, I think for football, it's not that big a deal. Uh, for the other sports, I'm not sure how they're going to manage that. But then again, that's not my job. I'm, I'm the football coach. So I'm going to uh, use all the things we've learned about doing that because we'll, we'll fly out next year and go play on the West Coast at some point at SC. And, uh, you know, looking forward to it and believe that uh, we have kind of the, the methodology to get ready. So we'll see how it works. The pillars of your program are family, trust, and job. Can you describe why you believe these are such important values and why the culture of a program is so important? Yeah, I think the culture is your roadmap, right? Like, what, what is your North Star? Because things get tough. It's not when they get tough. It's, it's, or it's not if they get tough. It's when they get tough. It's inevitable. And what do you turn to? And ours is family stands for forget about me. I love you. We believe love is not so much a feeling, but an action. And we believe that action is sacrifice. So can you, can you find guys that are willing to sacrifice for their teammates and coaches? And then trust is, is really a two-part definition, 100% honesty and doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. So if you have unselfish guys who tell the truth and do what they say they're going to do, you have a launching pad for something special. Chop something that we teach our guys, and that is that mental toughness to just keep going, to focus on one thing and stay focused. And those are the things that we come back to all the time. They're all over our building. They're all over. They're on our helmet, right? FTC's on the front of our helmet. It really is what we believe in, and it's what we go back to uh, constantly. Well, Greg, thanks so much for your time. You and I have been friends for a long time. You know, and I tell people often, I tell my sons, never get complacent in what you do because there's always someone else that can do your job. You can, you're, you could always be replaced. I don't believe there's any job that there's only one person that can do it, but if there is, it's the head football coach at Rutgers and you're that guy. So there was no doubt in my mind, you would get to this point. There's no doubt in my mind that you're not finished. I root for you every weekend and uh, really appreciate you being, uh, being such a good friend over the years and for being on the show. Well, thanks Nick. And I, I, 100% right back at you. You're a great friend and you're great for college football. So I appreciate what you do. Thanks, Greg. Good luck the rest of the year. Thanks. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. <laughs>